Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays. Hello, I'm Dave Farrah and welcome to you wherever you are in the world. So the unpredictability of this season's Barclays Premier League continues with the villains and the baggies denting Manchester's title hopes. People coming here would have thought Manchester City would have won comfortably, but our team was absolutely fantastic. Please see how good West Bromwich Albion were and not how poor Man United were because we were terrific. Are Sturridge and Suarez the league's most lethal duo? Louis uh, gives me angles to play and one of the best forwards in the league. And for me, it's about getting assists as well as scoring and it's about the team winning games and we perform a good partnership. And Everton's new striker has a home debut to remember. I was waiting for it for a long time and um, my teammates helped me and I just want to improve and keep my both the ground. And then I want to improve every game. I'm joined by the former Republic of Ireland midfielder Matt Holland as we review all the weekend's action. West Brom goalkeeping coach Dean Kylie joins us to discuss their historic win at Old Trafford. We speak to former Manchester City manager Brian Horton about their inconsistent start, and we hear from Vanson Company, Ricky Lambert, and Jordan Much. Plus, we talk to a Southampton season ticket holder about their European ambitions. Hello and welcome back to the official Barclays Premier League podcast. Hello to Matt as well. So Matt, you just can't predict this league, can you? Uh, surprise, some would say shocking results again this weekend. And is this gearing up the theme that it's one of the most open title races in years? It seems to be, yeah. I certainly wouldn't have predicted West Brom going to Old Trafford for the first time in how many years and getting a victory. I mean, the two promoted sides, Hull and Cardiff, both winning again. Cardiff away at Fulham was a fantastic result. And Man City, who I still think are the favourites for the title race this year, slipping up again at Aston Villa. So it was an incredible weekend of results. Yeah, we'll talk more about Manchester City's surprise defeat at Aston Villa with Brian Horton, their old manager, later in the show. But first, let's focus on what was perhaps a bigger shock at Old Trafford on Saturday, where the champions, Manchester United, went down 2-1 at home to a truly inspired West Bromwich Albion side. West Brom's first win at Old Trafford, you hinted at it, since 1978. The surprise was that they deserved it. They comprehensively outplayed Manchester United. More than deserved it. I thought they were absolutely sensational. The Scott Sinclair injury probably helped Steve Clark because it brought Berahim on and he was outstanding he kept coming off that left hand side joining up in the attack with uh, Anichibi and I just thought they were absolutely sensational Sessignon in behind his running caused United problems all afternoon Rio Ferdinand was struggling last season with Sir Alex Ferguson you felt that he managed Vidic and Ferdinand brilliantly he brought them in and out of the team he gave them a rest when needed they've played a lot of football so far this season and it seemed to show with Rio Ferdinand at the weekend I thought West Brom were, were more than worthy of the three points. Well, let's hear now from their victorious manager, Steve Clark, who I think agrees with you. He thought his team were more than worth the win. We came here with positivity. We wanted to be positive. We came to play. We didn't come just to camp in and try and defend and, and try and nick a win. I think anybody who's here today and the reception that my players got off the Man United fans at the end tells the whole story. They got clapped off the pitch. Listen, I said before we came that we had a good team. We were coming here to be positive. We came to get the win. Thankfully, that's how it turned out. And I, I, what I would like to say before anybody goes on about any other questions is please see how good West Bromwich Albion were and not how poor Man United were because we were terrific. Yeah, what's interesting about that is that's a quiet man who doesn't talk like that very often, Matt, but he was fired up and he had every right to be. He said, you know, everyone should be saying how well West Brom done. We've said that and quite rightly, I thought they were. You know, I mentioned Cessignon and, and Berahino and Malfitano as well was absolutely outstanding. Scored the week before and his goal was one of the, you know, one of the best you're going to see. Yeah, he took it beautifully. Well, that was Steve Clark. I'm delighted to say that his goalkeeping coach and the former Baggies number one, Dean Kiley, uh, joins us now. Welcome to the show, Dean. Hey, fellas, how you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. You, um, first of all, congratulations. I know you're going to talk about it's only one game and there's a whole season to come, but, but West Brom must be a great place to be right now. 
you know, you're right and you say it is only one game, but I think what we try and do, and I think it's really important, is when you're on a roll and you've got some momentum going, you have to get points on the board. And we've gone um, point against Fulham, uh, win against Sunderland, now win against Man United. So that's like seven points in, in a couple of weeks, which is vitally important. And to do it at Old Trafford and to beat a side full of world-class players was special. So, yeah, you're right. It um, just backs us up. You know, We knew what we were doing well and, and, and how things were going. So uh, it's a good place to be. Steve Clark said, Dean, that he wanted the players to play without fear. Did, did the whole thing have that feeling about it beforehand? I mean, can you sense that confidence about the players? Uh, I think so, yeah. I think the, the win against Sunderland was important because it just settled everyone down. He got us some points on the board. And uh, the theme really was, yeah, be respectful of Man United. But also, we must remember that when we do have the football, it's what we do with it. And I thought we kept it really well. I thought we made good decisions. We caused them lots of problems. And I just heard Matt saying there about Sessignon, Berahino, Amalfitano and, and Achibi to that. Those four forward sort of thinking players caused Man United now end the problems and couple that to a, a real solid base that we played from. It meant that we got a, a famous sort of historic win at Old Trafford. Dean, it was a slightly slow start to the season, wasn't it? And was there any sense of panic amongst the group? Yeah, I mean, Matt, you, you, you'll know as well as I do, is fans and media, all they can talk about is the game that's been. You know, people's reactions are knee-jerk to what they see. It was totally different in and around the football club. Steve Clark has, has done some tremendous work last year to get us eight. So that group of players knows what's required to be in and around that position in the league. You know, the, the start against Southampton wasn't great and we lost 1-0 with a penalty. And maybe the manner, not the wind out the uh, out the fans more than the players, actually. We obviously are very disappointed, but I think it's important for the players and certainly the coaches and, the, and, and Steve Clark that we were very focused on knowing that what we need to be to be successful and I think we're just hitting that run of form at the moment. Now Dean I've got to ask you about the the story probably of the the Barclays Premier League so far this uh, 20 year old who was born in Burundi Saido Berahino a fairy tale really isn't it through the the youth system scored a hat-trick on his full debut in the League Cup what a story an incredible uh, thing to have happened. He's a good boy he works extremely hard and I think he's got real bright future but I think it's important to say that he's had a He's had a whirlwind month. Everybody sits up and takes notice. And obviously, saw the winner at Old Trafford is incredible. But this is a young player who you need to nurture and bring through. And I think Steve Clark, in the fact that the way he's introduced him into the squad, he said to him, you know, if you go and perform, you will be a, a valid member of this first-team squad. And he's taken that. So everybody's happy. The football club are happy because it's somebody that's come through the ranks. And us as as a first-team squad are extremely happy because, you know, you haven't gone out and had to spend millions and, and try and find this player. This player is one of our own that we've uh, brought through ourselves. So very, very satisfying. And I think everybody at the football club can be extremely proud. You must also be pleased with the uh, the goalkeeping situation. Boaz Myhill's been impressive in the last few matches. Ben Foster was outstanding in the game he got uh, injured against uh, Everton. What's the latest on Ben Foster? When will he be back? When he got the injury at Everton, he's had a pin in his foot, which means he's going to be out for sort of... 10 or 12 weeks but credit to Ben really in the fact that he's working extremely hard in and around the gym trying to get better at other things for me as a goalkeeping coach is that when your first team goalkeeper's playing away and he's doing what everybody knows he can do it's great when the injury was sustained then your second keeper who sat around who let's be fair is a Welsh international and Bo is a great goalkeeper in his own right so he's come in and made a real positive contribution and also I've had Luke Daniels who's our third senior goalkeeper who's played in the Carling Cup and came on for Ben at Everton so um I'm really pleased that we've made a contribution to what's going so well at the moment. And Dean, your next match is at uh, home to Arsenal on Sunday. So uh, after what happened last weekend, I suppose a walk in the park. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that's what everyone will be saying. But, uh, you know, you do your due diligence and you prepare thoroughly. And 
we work extremely hard in and around the training ground Monday to Friday preparing for these games and, and Arsenal is no different. They come with world-class players and they're in a good place at the moment. But a little bit like the Man United fixture, we, we know that we have the tools and the weapons that we need maybe to beat these teams. And obviously Saturday's result against Man United gives us lots of confidence to take on the best. It's a great game. We're thoroughly looking forward to it. Dean, thanks so much for your time. We wish you uh, all the luck in the world with that and the rest of the season and, and lovely to talk to you as well, mate. Pleasure. Thanks, fellas. Bye-bye. Uh, Dean Carley, former teammate of, uh, of Matt's as well. Um, as for Manchester United, uh, we need to talk about them. Um, their worst start to a league campaign now for 24 years. And manager David Moyes had no complaints about the result on Saturday. Disappointing performance, disappointing result. We never really seemed to get up to speed. With a few chances in the first half, we didn't quite finish them off, which could have changed the game. You know, West Brom kept their shape, defended very well and, and deservedly won the game. They had probably had the better chances in the game. We've got a strong team here at Manchester United, good players and a good squad. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll put it right, I've no doubt about that. We talked about some of the peripheral issues, Rio Ferdinand and so on, but fundamentally... Is this just a case of a manager bedding in or are there bigger issues at Manchester United that are going to take longer to sort out, do you think? Well, I think everyone recognised last year that perhaps it wasn't United's strongest squad and the fact that some of the other teams around them didn't live up to expectations last year sort of masked the fact that they won by 11 points. And I just think that the squad isn't as strong as Manchester United would like and David Moyes would like. It's also a case of changing the way they play slightly as well and he's trying to integrate that into the team. He's also trying to find his best 11, which he's struggling with. I think Sir Alex Ferguson um, was an absolute genius at resting players and bringing them in at the right time. And I think when you've got such a size of squad that David Moyes has got now, he's going to have to try and work out. At Everton, he almost liked to work with about 18 players and sort of bring them in and out. But at United, it's bigger than that. And you've got to try and give everyone some sort of action. And So that's something he's going to have to work on. The transfer window didn't go as well as he would have liked as well. He would have liked to have done a bit more business in the summer. He brought Fellaini in, of course, which was one signing, but he'd like to have made more come January that might well be the case but there's a lot of things going on at United and um, there's a lot that needs to be done Yeah, the last top flight team to lose three of their opening six games and win the title was Portsmouth in 49-50 it does not happen very often and a word quickly about Sunderland away for them I mean, if you were trying to handpick a fixture that wouldn't necessarily be the one, would it? They might have a new manager by then it, you know, it will be buzzing up there Huge game for him, particularly on, on the back of a Champions League fixture. You know, he's, he's had another game midweek. Then he's got to go to um, Sunderland, who actually played OK against Liverpool at, at the weekend. A little bit unlucky, actually. So a really tough one for him. And Manchester United, just to uh, reiterate, a 12th at the moment. And they are, uh, I'll just throw this in, three points away from the relegation zone. Uh, we'll see what happens throughout <laughs> the uh, the course of the season. But it's, uh, it's fun and it's entertaining and uh, all of those things that the Barclays Premier League is. Now, on Monday night, David Moyes' old club, Everton, continued their run beaten start to the season with a really pulsating 3-2 win over Newcastle at Goodison Park and Matt it was all about one man wasn't it the striker Chelsea need probably Romelu <laughs> Lukaku with two goals and assist on his home debut he's making Jose look silly to be honest I mean he, his performance coming on as a sub last time out and then this time from the start is absolutely sensational I mean yes everyone knows about his brute strength and the power that he possesses and his running ability but his build up play his hold up play he's bringing others into the game his weight of pass were all sensational I think he's He's an outstanding striker, and like you say, Chelsea are looking for that man. They were try- they tried to buy one in the summer with Wayne Rooney, 
and they probably already had one at, at the football club and have let him go. So it seems a strange decision by Chelsea. Well, let's hear now from the Belgian's manager, Roberto Martinez, who was full of praise, of course he was, for his new recruit. What you've seen today, that's, that's him. That's his makeup. He's a strong, he's powerful, but um, he's very knowledgeable. For a number nine to have that awareness around him is technically is really gifted. At times he was unplayable, but what he, what he makes is opens the spaces for others as well. And we're going to get stronger. We need to get to know him. I think the players around him needs to, needs to get to know him. Today he looked a player enjoying his football and, and feeling at home, and that's very, very important for the future. Ross Barkley got the other goal and boy, another superb performance. So yeah. the, the talk of him, if England gets to the World Cup starting for them, isn't looking so silly now. No, it's not. Suffered a bad break when he was 16 and it took him a little while to come back from that. Uh, last season, I saw him on loan at Sheffield Wednesday and he was excellent. And this year, he's been given the opportunity at Everton. Straight away, it looks as though he and Lukaku can play together. The build-up play, the interplay between the two was exceptional. He likes to be in that advanced midfield role. And his goal was the first touch and the second touch was so quick um, that it was very difficult to defend against. So those two, as a partnership, look great. Yeah, Everton three up at half-time. Uh, Newcastle came back into it in the second half. That was the way that the game went. The other thing, I think, for Everton fans as well, it was always the school of science, Goodison, wasn't it? And the way that they're playing under Martinez, those fans like that and that's how they want their team to play and I think that adds to the, the sort of heady atmosphere up there too. Well there's a little bit of frustration in the early part of the season because they're having a lot of possession yet not turning into goals probably have more possession than any other team in the Barclays Premier League and yet no end product bring Lukaku into the team and all of a sudden you feel as though there's goals in that side and I think the Everton fans are really enjoying the style of play Yeah, Romelu Lukaku, the Andy Gray for the modern era uh, as an Evertonian but uh, as for Newcastle, a much improved second half display but manager Alan Pardew thought their defending in the first half was unforgivable The goals in the first half, I'm afraid they're not acceptable for me and I'll make sure that you know we're going to have to tighten up there and make maybe a couple of changes there. Defensively uh, we've got to be better than we are at the moment uh, but we've got goals in the team we've shown that tonight with numerous chances apart from the two goals uh, but we got to tighten up that's for sure Oh, he's right, isn't he? That was awful, what, well, what went on in the first half there. Well, it was because it wasn't like Everton... You know, we talked about Everton's football and their build-up play. Actually, some of the goals were just a long kick from the goalkeeper forward and they just didn't deal with it. Yanga and Biwa had, an, had a nightmare, paid the price by being brought off at half-time. Their defending was all over the show and, and that's something that Alan Pardew has to get right sooner rather than later. Yeah, to Pardew's credit, he did change things. It always takes a brave manager to do that at half-time, albeit when you're 3-0 down. Ben Arthur and Yanga Mabiwa replaced by Kabai and, uh, and Williamson, which worked. But then why is Kabai not on from the stars anyway? Alan Pardew said himself that he had a chat with uh, the player and they discussed it and said that he perhaps wasn't fit enough to play 90 minutes and it may be better coming off the bench. Well, he's certainly going to start the next game after that performance in the second half. Sensational goal and uh, a great performance by him and, and he'll start the next game without question. Yeah, before we move on, by the way, with regard to Everton, a quick word on Gareth. Barry, who at Goodison Park on Monday night became only the 10th player to have made 500 Barclays Premier League appearances. That's some achievement. I mean, you know that as a player yourself yeah. who played a lot of games, but at that level, that is some achievement. And he's a real unsung hero, isn't he, of the Barclays Premier League, Gareth Barry? Yeah, he is. I think he's, he's had a fantastic career. He really has. I mean, it, people say, well, he hasn't got a turn of pace. He doesn't need a turn of pace. He, he's got a football brain. He understands where players are, the position he needs to be in, the interceptions he makes, the tackles he makes. His game has changed over the years. He's played out wide. He's now a, a holding midfield player, which allows the other Everton players to get forward. He's had a great career. You know, well done on reaching 500 Barclays Premier League appearances. Well, on that theme, we want you to tell us your favourite unsung heroes in the Barclays Premier League era. Those players that, you know, go under the radar a bit, but still play uh, a crucial role for their team. Maybe a bit like the fella who's sitting alongside me. You can tweet us your suggestions at Barclays Footy with the hashtag YouAreFootball or post them onto the Barclays Football Facebook site. Any particular unsung heroes from your playing days, Matt? Uh, I mean, from that Everton team, 
Leon Osman. I think he's a, he's an unsung hero in that in that midfield for Everton as well. Uh, another player I played with um, at international level was Steve Finnan at Liverpool when they won the Champions League. I felt he was an unsung hero as well, so he'd be another one. Yeah, plenty of unsung heroes as well in that uh, Republic of Ireland team. Now, coming up, we'll be speaking exclusively to the former Manchester City manager, Brian Horton, and hearing from Brendan Rodgers, Arsene Wenger and Jordan Much. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Dave Farrer. Well, next we go to the Stadium of Light, where it was the Sturridge and Suarez show. As Liverpool recorded a slick 3-1 victory over Sunderland, let's get the Reds manager Brendan Rodgers' verdict on his new-look strike force. Him and Daniel up front, they're a real, real handful. And you see the, the partnership there with the two of them. Obviously, our system, you know, how we've changed it about a wee bit to suit the players that we have works reasonably well for us, you know, in the three four one two and, and those two at the at the tip of the structure are, are exceptional, you know. So they combine very well. You see how they pass and how they move off each other and obviously Daniel's got uh, got one set up too and, and Lou's got his two. So uh, to now he, he's worked very hard and, and long may it continue his goals coming. Suarez back after his ten match suspension, he hasn't been away, has he? <laughs> I mean it was exactly like watching him throughout last season as if he just fit back in seamlessly. I saw him in midweek in the cup match at Old Trafford and although he looked a little short of match fitness, his awareness and ability to know where Daniel Sturridge was and that partnership straight away was excellent. I like the way that Brendan Rodgers has changed his system and his formation to fit the players that he's got in the squad. He's also got a couple of players to come back and when they come into this squad as well, the likes of Glenn Johnson, who's a ready-made wing-back, Coutinho, who will play in the hole off Suarez and Sturridge. I think that was the reason actually for going to this system, this 3-4-1-2, that he could get Suarez, Sturridge and Coutinho all in their favourite positions, all in the same team. It looks promising for Liverpool. And Sturridge also continues his good form. He set up both Suarez goals in one of them, a beautiful pass the outside of his of his left foot, fifth of the season as well. And he admitted as well that the, the goal um, came off his arm, didn't he? Which I guess was refreshingly honest. Yeah, <laughs> although it's in the back of the net and they all count, don't they? So once it's been given, you can quite happily say afterwards, yeah, it did come off my hand. I got away with one. Sturridge has been great at the start of the season. He really has. One question mark is over the fact that he is very one-footed. He saw the goal of the defenders trying to show him down the wing on his right foot and yet he's got that pace to get away. But I think he's, he's had a great start to the year. Yeah, we could talk about two Argentine players, one from uh, the 80s and one from now, two of the best players of all time, neither of whom have a right foot. So Sturridge can still have... <laughs> yeah, uh, true. Could still have a career. Liverpool, by the way, back up to uh, second and arguably title contenders as well. As for Sunderland, the defeat keeps them winless and bottom of the table, but there were signs of encouragement for the interim manager, Kevin Ball. I think with the, in terms of going forward, and I think today you saw a real hard-working, committed performance, but I also think there's a lot of good football on there as well, and I think we need to take heart in that. But obviously I was very disappointed with the result on that, but I think it's important no matter who is at the helm, so they lead from the front, so to speak, and put everything in perspective, shall we say. 23 attempts on goal, you know, which is their most in a league game since December 2011. Jacarini played really well. Catamol played particularly well. It was improved, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was a better performance. I think you know, with Kevin Ball at the helm, the one thing he's going to ask for is total commitment, energy, endeavour. And he got that from his side. Yes, Liverpool were, were very good and I think deservedly won the game. But Sunderland, were in, it was an improved performance without doubt. Any chance of Kevin Ball getting the job? Any thoughts on who they might appoint? I think the longer it goes on, then the more chance he does get the job. I know they've spoken to Gus Poyet. He is obviously on their list. But um, the longer he stays in temporary charge, the better chance chance he has of staying in there full time. That's the key isn't it? They've said he's going to be in charge for the Manchester United game yeah. haven't they on, on Saturday and then it's well, a question it gives them that two week game. Well and also every game he's got it gives him an opportunity to impress he wants the job so he's got an opportunity if, he, if they have a good performance against United who knows. Yeah you've got two games to impress Liverpool and Man United.
did all the best <laughs> with that. So uh, the team keeping Liverpool off top spot are Arsenal, who continued their excellent recent run to see off Swansea 2-1 at the Liberty Stadium on Saturday evening. It was another impressive performance from Arsene Wenger's men. They scored twice in quick succession in the second half and they were two beautiful goals, weren't they? It was proper old-style Arsenal. It was. Everyone says they get to the edge of the box and they don't want to shoot and they didn't need to. There's a little intricate football around the penalty area. Ramsey looks in sensational form. Gnabry's coming to the side and looked at home straight away. Giroud must stay fit. I think that's one thing you'd say about Arsenal. He is their main striker and if he gets injured you do worry about them a little bit. Maybe that's something that Arsene Wenger will look at in the January transfer window. But it's been a great start to the season for them and, and defensively they've been pretty solid as well. As you mentioned, one of Arsenal's standout players was the German teenager Serge Gnabry who scored the first goal and was a threat throughout. Manager Arsene Wenger clearly has a lot of faith in him. He's 18 years old, you know. Talent is always uh, together with early start and early quality on the pitch. That's what he's showing. Uh, we give him at the moment the confidence, but he had another good game today. First half was quite difficult. I felt we were a bit uh, slow in our combination, in our movement, and uh, Swansea was sharper than us. Second half, uh, we were much stronger at our level and took advantage of uh, the chances we created. Eight consecutive Barclays Premier League away wins that. And by the way, Serge Gnabry, the second youngest Arsenal scorer in the Barclays Premier League after Cesc Fabregas. Jack Wilshere sent a tweet, said, Fans are amazing as always. Thanks for your support. Well done at Serge Gnabry on his first BPL goal. Hashtag decent finish. It was a very good finish. And Ramsey's eighth goal of the season now in all competitions. This is a, a new signing for us. Yeah, it is. I think he's always been a very good player, a very good all-round player. His ability to get up and down and quality on the ball is passing. The one thing that perhaps you'd say was lacking from his game, was him getting in the 18-yard box and getting himself on the score sheet. And he's added that to his game this season. He looks full of confidence, and every time he gets into the penalty area, he fancies him to score. And Swansea's first defeat in four, but they haven't won a league game at the Liberty since March, which is quite surprising, early March at that. There is a feeling about Michael Laudrup that he should find a way to play Michu and Bonnie in the same team regularly and hasn't really managed to do that yet. We talked sort of about Liverpool trying to fit players into a system and, and that's Michael Laudrup's conundrum really. He's trying to find a system and a way of playing that fits his best players into the starting eleven. So we'll see if that evolves and, and how it happens. Um, when they have played together, they've looked a decent partnership. They've linked up well, meet you coming from deep and when Boney plays up top. So there is a way of them playing together. It's just Michael Laudrup finding that formula. Well, there were contrasting fortunes for Swansea's Welsh rivals Cardiff on Saturday. They recorded their first top flight away win for 52 years, overcoming Fulham 2-1 at Craven Cottage. And they left it late with youngster Jordan Mutch hitting a superb stoppage time winner. I know I had time on the edge of the box. Um, I just thought, why not? Yeah, it's worked, so um, I'm buzzing. Um, it's big three points coming down to Fulham. Um, I'm buzzing at the moment. Team worked really hard, you know. I thought we deserved to go in quite a few at the break. Unfortunate that they got the goal back, but um, I think it's a deserved three points for us. That interview wasn't actually taking place on the pitch. Jordan Much takes those fans with him um, <laughs> everywhere he goes. But uh, after scoring a goal like that, he deserves to. I'll tell you what it reminded yeah. me of. One of my favourite ever top flight goals, Justin Fashionu for Norwich against Liverpool all those years ago. Great control on the edge of the area. Left foot, top corner. I mean, it was that good. It, it was, was a wonderful goal. Oh, there was no stopping it. I felt a little bit sorry for him, actually, because Amalfitano has probably stolen his thunder this weekend with the goal he scored at Old Trafford because any other week it would have been the best goal. But what a wonderful goal. And, and to win the game so late on as well. It must have been a great feeling. 
feeling for him. I felt sorry for Brian Ruiz, who in the same game yeah, true. scored the goal of the month of any other month. <laughs> yeah. and it wasn't even the best goal in the game because of, yeah. uh, of Jordan Mutch's. But Cardiff are doing well, Malky Mackay. That was a really important win for them because they're 11th on eight points. That feels solid, doesn't it? Whereas yeah. five or six points wouldn't, wouldn't do quite so much. I think everyone felt that perhaps going away to Cardiff would be a really difficult game. We've already seen them beat Manchester City at home and the, the support and the atmosphere that their supporters can generate. Can they go away and win matches? Well, they made a great start by winning at Fulham and they do. They look pretty solid at the moment and that first year back in the Barclays Premier League, it's exciting times for them. As for Fulham, their start to the season has been slightly less impressive. This defeat, you know, is their fourth in five league games. And let's hear from their under-pressure manager, Martin Yoll. No, I'm responsible, so of course I've got uh, good players, but uh, the balance is not always there. And today you saw that, for example, Bayern Ruzu came back from injury, had to change the game, so that was good. But of course you won them from the start, Berbatov with Darren Bent. Uh, uh, the second time this season, so ho- you always hope for better, you know, but sometimes you need a little bit of time, but of course in the Premier League you don't have the time because you need the results. Well, Fulham have now gone seven Barclays Premier League matches without a victory at Craven Cottage. That's their longest winless run at home in the top flight since 1966. Is he in serious danger of his job, do you think, Martignol? He does seem pretty down. Again, he's trying to get that partnership between Berbatov and Bent working. He said it's only the second time they've played together. You feel as though they could work together because Berbatov likes to drop deep, Bent in behind, but at the moment they're not quite getting it right. He needs results and he needs them quickly to try and change that atmosphere around the ground. Coming up, we'll be speaking to Brian Horton and hearing from Jose Mourinho and AVB. But it's time now for our halftime tweets. Well, with so many goals and incidents over the weekend, there have been a flood of top-flight football tweets. One of Arsenal's injured stars, Lucas Podolski, tweeted after the win at Swansea, A for amazing, F for fantastic, and C for champion position. Congrats to the lads, especially Gnabry and Ramsey. A great win for the Gunners, but some words of encouragement for the losers. Fan Tim Palmer said, I'm a huge Arsenal fan, but you are football, Swansea. Love the way this team plays under Michael Laudrup. American goalie Brad Guzan took to Twitter after a huge upset against Man City. Villa Park at its best, he said, and the effort from everyone was huge. Another top-flight star praising the 12th man was Norwich summer signing Leroy Fur. Great three points today, and the fans were amazing again. Got the Barclays Man of the Match award, but it was a real team effort. Hashtag love. And there was also a lot of love for the return of a Uruguayan striker. Liverpool fan with a tremendous name of J.R. Orsini tweeted, Luis Suarez is back with a bang. One appearance, two goals. Hashtag UR football. Remember, you can keep up to date with everything that's going on in the Barclays Premier League by following at Barclays Footy on Twitter. Hashtag UR football. Well, I'm here with Matt Holland, who never sends any tweets as exciting as that, as we continue our look back at all the weekend's top flight action to another of the weekend's surprise results now. Aston Villa twice came from behind to beat an informed Manchester City side 3-2 at Villa Park. What a game and what a performance from Villa. They show so much strength and adversity, that team. Yeah, they do. When you talk about adversity, I mean... Everyone felt Penteke being out would be a real problem. Such you know, such a key player for them. He did brilliantly to get him to sign his new contract in the summer uh, and keep him at the football club. Then he loses Gabby Agbonlahor as well. And you think, well, this is going to be mission impossible. Can't get a result at home. You've got those two missing. You come up against Manchester City. And yet they found it from somewhere to win the game. They were second best for large periods of that match. The effort, the endeavour was, was there for everyone to see. What an incredible win for them. Well, you mentioned losing key players. Let's hear from Paul Lambert now. He's proud of his squad and and how they've coped in recent weeks. 
The injury list has been pretty horrendous and um, we've lost two lads who've scored a lot of goals for us. We've lost Westwood who's been fantastic for me. McCora was starting to find his feet so there was a lot going on in the game and we're up against one of the best teams in the country. So that's the magnitude of the result. If you go back to Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, it's been really, really tough but we've come through it and um, we're certainly playing well. Is there a lesson to be learned here about faith in youth? Because some of those players who've come in look terrific for Villa. Yes, raw and yes, new to it all but still a real spark. Yeah, I think they probably learnt a lot from last season as well. You know, there was a lot of pressure on them last year. It looked for a long time as though they might be relegated. They found some results towards the back end of that season. And this year, they've started off pretty much where they finished last season as well. I'm not sure they're going to be pushing too close towards the, the European spots. But I think Paul Lambert is doing a great job on quite a limited budget as well. It's not like he's had millions and millions to spend. Probably the best sign he made was getting Benteke to renew his contract. Some of the young players there are full of energy, playing with confidence in the fact that Paul Lambert believes in them. I think he's done a great job in getting that message across to his young players. And as for Manchester City, it was their second defeat of the season and continues their miserable run on the road. They won just three, you know, of their last 11 away fixtures. Captain Vanson Company, however, felt they did more than enough to win at Villa Park on Saturday. It's one of those days, uh, can't explain it. Three chances, three goals, and that's it. I mean, it's probably the kind of game you play them ten times, you win them nine times, and I would say that the attitude was positive throughout the game, and, and uh, you know, maybe we should just uh, you know, acknowledge the fact that sometimes a draw is not a bad result. We're professionals, and... You know, we used to dealing with those situations. So Vanson Company says it was just one of those things, while manager Manuel Pellegrini says it's important to stay calm. We can find out what a former Manchester City manager makes of the situation. Brian Horton was at the helm in the early days of the Barclays Premier League. He joins us now. Hi, Brian. Good morning. Now, start with the uh, defeat at, at Villa. Was that a, a big shock to you? Massive shock. We came in um, in Sheffield Wednesday office after our game and obviously scores coming up and couldn't believe that City had, had lost at Villa, particularly when they were winning and then United losing at home. You'd have backed both of those to, to win games, but that's how it seems at the moment in the league. It is topsy-turvy and it's a very, very poor result, really. You put loads of money on, on them winning the game when they're 2-1 up. I've just heard, obviously, Vincent Company's um, interview there and they're saying they'll bounce back, but they, they shouldn't be conceding three goals with, with the players they've got. It's interesting, isn't it, Brian? Because, you know, we talk about assists, don't we, and all this sort of stuff these days. That was an assist from the goalkeeper. Manchester City shouldn't be conceding goals like that, surely. No, we were talking about it yesterday, and, you know, you've got one player up there, a long kick down the middle of the pitch, he goes in between two centre-halves and only one striker, and then Joe Hart's come running out. It, it, it's a poor goal to give away, and you don't expect goals to be given away like that by any pros, really, you know, so disappointing and that's how the season's been for them they've been brilliant at home but the away form has been very very poor Do you still make Man City favourites? I know they've lost a couple of games already at the start of this season the squad they've got do you still make them favourites for the title? I, I do because they are fantastic at home and he's got, he's got a reputation Pellegrini playing attacking football but he's getting the balance right between scoring so many goals and then giving so many goals away so they'll be disappointed in that and they've got two Really tough games now coming up at home to Bayern Munich and then at home to Everton who started fantastic. And Everton have gone above them in the league now with unbeaten, so that's a massive game for Man City on Saturday. City have won all three home games, Brian, but away from home, we've already touched on it. They've drawn with Stoke, lost to Cardiff and Villa. Do they sort of have a different mentality away from the Etihad? Why do you think that happens? They look open, that's what I'm saying, about it's just getting their balance right between being so uh, good at going forward, but put at the back, you've just put the nail on the head with a goal they conceded. I mean, the, the, all the goals, I mean, the first one might have been offside. It's one of those contentious ones, but the second one is a poor free kick to give away. Too easy. And then the last one is it's like a Sunday morning goal, isn't it? You see on Parks pitches, it shouldn't happen at that level. So he's got to tighten up and they can't afford to be losing or dropping points at home and falling further away. 
you know, it's been a poor start when you think what that they are favourites and where they are in the league and where Man United is second favourite. Both teams at the moment are really, really topsy-turvy and they've got to get the balance right, as I've said before, into their game. Well, Brian, if I just find only six games in, but City are seventh in the table, I guess the one consolation will be the red half of Manchester's even low, won't it? That'll keep them going. <laughs> well, I've got some pals that obviously reds and, uh, you know, they're, they're disappointed with the start, as is everybody else. And, you know, a new manager, David's gone in there and with a great reputation and he's finding it tough at the moment. Maybe in the next window they will improve because they, they didn't bring enough players in through the summer and everybody's talking about that and it looks like they need to do that and obviously they were start for many, many, many years and I, I know that the supporters are not happy with that but he has to live with that. When you go to a club like Man United, the, the expectation level is, is as high as it can be and uh, they've certainly got to get their act in order because they can't afford to drop too many points now over the next couple of months but it's hard to catch up those points. So you're dead right, Man City fans are loving them being down there, but Man City have got to concentrate on themselves, I think, you know, if they're going to win the title. Brian, thank you very much indeed for your time. Lovely to hear from you. Cheers, thank you. Great to hear there from a man who was at the helm. Who, you know, he transformed that city side going forward with people like Peter Beagree and indeed a, a good friend of this show, Paul Walsh, uh, played uh, very well for Man City under Brian Horton. Sitting just above City in the table are Spurs and Chelsea who played out a closely fought 1-1 draw at White Hart Lane on Saturday lunchtime. A game that almost got lost given what happened uh, later on in the afternoon because it was a tremendous game, wasn't it, at the lane, Tottenham-Chelsea? Yeah, fabulous. Two very good sides, to be honest. I thought Spurs' first half were exceptional. Could have been more than the goal ahead that they were. And then Chelsea fought back in the second period where Fernando Torres played with a real passion and desire that we haven't seen from him for the last two seasons. And they deserve to get something out of the game for that second half performance. Well, let's get the assessment now of the Spurs manager, Andre Villas-Boas. Our second half wasn't as good as we wanted. They did well to score from the set play. I think both of the teams had uh, good chances. The chances were uh, were spread. We had a good opportunity to score the 2-0 just before half-time. Could have been the killer, but you know there was always that threat on the counter and through set plays that they could score, and and they did it, and credit to them. The results suits them uh, better than, than us, but uh, it, was a, it was a very great game. Sigurdsson got his third of the season. Eriksson, once again, was uh, was really impressive, wasn't he? Yeah, I like him. He um, you know, He's always looking to get on the ball, always looking to find space and playing his teammates. I thought he was very good. I also thought Polinio was great for Spurs as well. You know, He's supposed to be the holding midfield player, and yet he's bombing into the penalty area, making those forward runs. Spurs are finding that their, their signings are making an impact, so that's good for them. And the good thing for them as well is still others in hand. L- Lamella you know, is still getting used to the league, but will be a big star there. So lots to be hopeful for. As for Chelsea, it's took the second half introduction of Juan Mata to spark them into action and manager Jose Mourinho was more than pleased with the midfielder's contribution. I think this is the way players have to say I want to play. Blah 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 is not good. Conversations with you is not good. Good is this. Is the effort he made against Swindon. Is the way he changed the team in the second half. And because of that, I'm a very happy manager. Matter finally proving himself to Mourinho, at least in Mourinho's eyes, but it was ironic that it was him who came on and changed the game. Well, yeah, he seems to, he's had a real reluctance to start him, I, I, and I can't quite work out why. Play of the year at Chelsea for two years running, and then Mourinho turns up and he can't get a game. It, it did seem very strange. I don't know what he was asking him to do different, but he's certainly been pleased with his attitude, which is great. Uh, he did come on and make a difference, and I thought he, he was outstanding. But I also thought, as I say, Torres' second half was very good for them and was instrumental in getting them back into the game. And that brings us on to the other main talking point, unfortunately, doesn't it? A, a tremendous football match. But what was your take on the red card for Fernando Torres? I also would include in that the overall picture, yeah. with the, 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 the scratch of Vertonghen's face as well. Well, he was walking a tight rope, really, wasn't he? 
in that second period because he was on edge and he was nagging at the referee and it was winding Vertonghen up and there was a lot going on between the two players. I think he was very unlucky to, to receive a yellow card for the actual sending off the second one. I think that for the scratch in Vertonghen's face, he should have seen red. So you can look at it two ways. He was a little bit unlucky with the actual challenge that he did get sent off for, but was fortunate that he wasn't sent off earlier in the half. He probably did deserve to see red on the balance of what happened in that second period. Exactly. It's like the wider moral picture. It was yeah. right, but it was for the wrong thing, wasn't it? Um, interestingly as well, Chelsea's return of 11 points from six matches this season mirrors their start to the 07-08 campaign. And guess what happened there after six matches? Jose Mourinho was sacked as manager. It won't happen this time, but it just puts into context their start to the season and Matt at the end. Andre Villaspos and Mourinho shook hands, reportedly swapped numbers. Isn't it nice to see that after all that nonsense they made up, apparently? <laughs> Great. Absolutely fabulous, yeah. Look, there's a lot made of last week and the build-up, the, the master and the apprentice and a draw was a fair result and, and a nice way to end it all. Absolutely. Um, sitting pretty in six below Chelsea on only goal difference. A Southampton who continued their impressive start to the season with a 2-0 victory over Crystal Palace at St Mary's. Striker Ricky Lambert notched his 200th career goal in the second half, although there's some dispute about that, but he got it with a superb free kick, but he admitted that he wasn't too confident stepping up to it. It was a good free kick and considering in practice, in training, my free kicks have been terrible if I'm being honest. It was a bit of a surprise, so probably might not have even took it if Ward Prowse was on the pitch, but it was a nice surprise and it was nice to see it going. We knew the goals will start coming. Shortly into the second half, Danny's done brilliant for his goal and he's managed to get his first goal, which is going to give him the, the world of confidence. And like you said, I managed to, to get on the score sheet as well, so yeah, it was a good day. I love Ricky Lambert, Matt. Did, did you hear the comment afterwards about the 200th goal? He was asked, was it or was it not? Because there's a disputed one in there. And he said, I don't know, couldn't care less, don't count, <laughs> just score. And um, well, when I'm retired, I'll have a look, but I'm not so sure at the moment. Well, if he scores another one, that'll be 200 for definite, won't it? So. I, I think that's the point. He can keep celebrating it every <laughs> yeah, weekend. Exactly. Why not? Yeah. Um, to discuss Southampton's great start to the season in more depth, we're joined now by Nick Illingworth from the um, Southampton Supporters Trust. Hi, Nick. Hi. Now, you were there on Saturday. Of course you were. Um, it was pretty comfortable in the end, wasn't it? It was a nice kind of bloodless win, that, which is always was a good sign. It was. I don't think Crystal Palace had a shot on goal. Certainly not one that or on target. And it took a little bit to break them down. And we hit a couple of goals in almost as many minutes. We took the three points, which is what counts, really. Nice to see Osvaldo getting his first goal for the club as well, wasn't it? It is. You know, we, he's the record signing. He's not scored yet. It was a well-taken goal as well. Quite often when players don't score goals, they'll take anything that comes, even if it comes off their backside. But, you know, he got the ball on the edge of the area. He worked base for himself well and hit a great shot into the corner. It's nice when the new signings make an impact. And another one who's really impressed me is Dejan Lovren at, at centre-half. I saw him last week against Liverpool. thought he, he was outstanding. Uh, and then this week, again, another impressive performance. That is the key. We've got the equal lowest defence in the league now, whereas last season we leaked goals like nobody's business. And the difference now is Dejan Lovren. A part of the difference is Arta Boric, who came in in January and shored it up a bit, but in goal but last season take Newcastle away we, we just got caught on the break where the centre-halves couldn't defend the ball Dejan Lovren is everything that we needed Yeah you also produce young players there like nobody's business don't you James Ward-Prowse Luke Shaw Callum Chambers all coming through I and mean, that must be great for you It is I mean we've always had a little bit of a conveyor belt going I mean we had Theo Walcott we had Gareth Bale and at the time they were coming through we were relegated to the championship and we had to let them go but now 
somehow we're able to hang on to these players. And yeah, I mean, Luke will play for England, I feel. Jamie Ward-Prowse is moving in that direction. And Callum Chambers, for his young age, is coming at right back in the opening games of the season and look the part. And you're up to sixth and some of the players are being asked about Europe, Nick. Are you starting to, to think that way? Are you starting to dream? Yes, to a degree. The trouble is I'm of an older generation of Saints fans where you're always used to them letting you down. So I tend to be a little bit more cautious. It's a difficult league. You know, we've had a good start and we're still only six, which is still not good enough for Europe. Personally, I think a good season for Saints and what we should be looking for is a top 10 finish and we should be looking to win one of the Cups. Win the, the League Cup as such, and that makes a statement of intent, and it makes it a lot easier to sign the type of players that the chairman is telling us he wants to sign. Great stuff, Nick. We wish you uh, luck for the rest of the season. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? A Cup, top 10 finish, win the Prem next year, Champions League the year after. But, uh, listen, thanks very much indeed for your time. No problem. That was Nick Illingworth from the uh, Southampton uh, Supporters Trust. They have gone well. Palace aren't going well, Matt. Fifth defeat in six league games, second bottom. I wanted to ask you about Ian Holloway because his Blackpool team that came up to the uh, the Barclays Premier League with you know, 4-3-3, three, three, wide open, entertaining, win or lose, but fall on your sword kind of thing. But this isn't the same. No, it's not. I, I, I guess he's probably looked at the last time he came up with Blackpool. And although they, they played some great attacking football, they did get relegated. And I think he's thought, right, I don't want the same thing to happen. I've got to do something slightly different. So he's perhaps curbed those attacking instincts to some degree, thinking he's got to try and you know, eke out a few results here and there. It looks dire for them. Hardly had a shot against Southampton, which is just not good enough, to be honest. There's real problems at Palace, and you do fear for them, even this early in the season. Yeah, you talked about Martin Yol as well, and his the, the way he sounded, and you know neither of us are body language experts, but I'm not crazy about the way he looks either. He doesn't look like he's enjoying it. I think he's frustrated. He had that two-game touchline ban, which perhaps affected him a little bit. He was back on the touchline, again at the weekend and heading and kicking every ball as usual yeah I just I just I don't know I just feel he's tried to change it a little bit and it's not quite working yet okay well fingers crossed uh, that uh, we keep Ian Holloway in the Barclays Premier League and that they start to, to pick up while Crystal Palace find themselves in the bottom three though their fellow promoted side Hull City are finding life in the top flat I wouldn't say easier but they're, they're going very very well on Saturday they won 1-0 at home against West Ham to make it three wins out of six summer signing Jake Livermore says the team are going from strength to strength yeah, I mean, it's always good to win at home. It uh, gives you great morale. The fans are behind us as well. Yeah, the lads are confident. Um, we've had a few new signers this season, myself included, and um, yeah, I think we've all settled in all right. So far, so good. Steve Bruce, obviously, the gaffer is allowing us to play You know how we want to play, get the ball down and play, which is great. And um, to be honest, the whole team are gelling to that. Well, West Ham, since they won that opening game against Cardiff, have picked up just two points from a possible 15. The issue I wanted to ask you about in this game, though, was Sam Allardyce, I thought, was very honest in his post-match interview. felt very hard done by, with two penalty decisions, the one that Robbie Brady won and scored for Hull, and then a, a more obvious one not given to West Ham. He's not someone who whinges a lot, Big Sam, and I thought he was right. I don't know about you, but they were unfortunate, weren't they? Yeah, they were. I don't think they played particularly well. You do feel as though there's a lack of goals in that West Ham team at the moment, you know, with Andy Carroll being out for a long period. You feel that that's a bit of a problem for them. Carlton Cole may well be coming on a short-term deal, which would help them in that respect. Decisions did go against them, which is frustrating as a manager, particularly losing the, the penalties very early in the game. It gave Hull a real head start. I mean, Robbie Brady, I think, has been excellent for them and took the took the penalty exceptionally well. But you feel for West Ham when decisions like that go against them. And Robbie Brady is proof positive, isn't he? We've talked about struggles with some of the bigger clubs. You don't always have to go out 
and spend tens of millions of pounds to get someone who's going to play well in this division. No, he's a technically very gifted player who should be suited to the top flight. I think he's a, a fabulous player and, and I think he's made a big impact. Let's not forget, he was at Man United as, as a kid, so he's had a good education as well. We'll finish with another 1-0 victory as Norwich midfielder Johnny Housen scored their first league goal for 235 minutes to beat Stoke at the Britannia Stadium and the goal scorer felt they were well worth their second win of the season. We'd had a few chances before that uh, we'd hit the bar. So yeah, it's always, you know, helps when you add on top. I think um, gives that confidence, you know, we, we got more people forward. Could have had um, a couple more on, on another day. Excellent three points that for uh, for Norwich, there was a bit of pressure building on Chris Hughton because they've, they've spent a lot of money, haven't they? Uh, I think the top 15 in Europe in terms of spend over the summer. It was good to get a win. Good stat. I didn't know that. Um, I know they'd spent a few quid and, and certainly up front as well. There was pressure. He needed a big weekend. He needed a big result and he got it. He got a reaction from his players. It wasn't a great game. I don't think either side played particularly well, but it just relieves that pressure off him a touch. And there was a penalty chat in this game. I think we've had too much of that, so I might yeah. leave that to one side. It was probably unfortunate for Stoke. But Mark Hughes's reaction, I thought, was interesting after the game when he spoke about we just weren't good enough so yeah. I'm not going to whinge about the penalty because we didn't deserve anything anyway but that's quite refreshing actually. Yeah it is. He recognised that you know his team have played much better this season. They have changed their style slightly this year which will take a little bit of time for the players to adjust to. At times they've kept the ball better than they have done in previous seasons but again you feel as though there's perhaps not enough of a goal threat from them at the moment and yeah he, he was frustrated because it wasn't a good performance by them. Well before we take a look at some of this weekend's matches let's reveal the winners of our special competition last week where a signed Dennis Bergkamp autobiography and football were up to grabs. I actually bought the autobiography uh, this week. I kept dropping hints to my producer that I might like a copy, but uh, nothing was forthcoming, so I went and bought it myself. We asked from which club did Arsenal sign Bergkamp in 1995 for £7.5 million. The answer, of course, was Inter Milan. And the two lucky winners are Dean Joseph, who gets the autobiography, and Danny Langers Langley, who uh, who gets the ball. So congratulations to you both. The prizes will be winging their way to you soon. And uh, let's have a quick run through of this weekend's Barclays Premier League fixtures. So we've got Manchester City against Everton kicking us off. Cardiff, Newcastle, Fulham, Stoke, Hull Villa, Liverpool Palace. Then at 5.30 on Saturday, Sunderland, Manchester United, huge game. Sunday, Norwich, Chelsea and Southampton, Swansea are both 1.30s. And then it's Tottenham, West Ham and West Brom are... Arsenal. And Matt, which one stand out for you? Well, initially, it's the one that kicks us all off, really. Manchester City against Everton. I think that looks like a real great game ahead. So I think that one stands out. Big game for United at, at Sunderland. Then Sunday, Spurs, West Ham, London Derby. So, yeah, some good fixtures this weekend. OK, so it's time. I know you love this. So it's, uh, it. it's time for Matt's yes or no. It's one word <laughs> answers. It's yes or no. Prediction time. Five questions. So can Everton maintain their unbeaten record at the Etihad? No. Will Suarez and Sturridge both get on the score sheet again at home to Crystal Palace? Yes. Will Manchester United still be in the bottom half of the table after their trip to Sunderland? No. Will Arsenal make it nine away league wins in a row at West Brom on Sunday? No. Agony there for him. And finally, after three direct free kicks were scored last weekend, will a direct free kick be scored this weekend? Yes. Well, there you go. Why don't you tweet us your weekend predictions at Barclays Footy? And nice to hear that Matt uh, improving on Stuart Robson last week, who I think said yes once, but even struggled to uh, to say that. To <laughs> he be is honest. negative, though, Stuart. Obviously, yeah. obviously, yeah. That's just about it for this week. My thanks to a very positive Matt Holland for his company. And before we go, have a try at this week's uh, trivia teaser. With Gareth Barry making his 500th Barclays Premier League appearance on Monday night, 
We want to know which other players you knew this was coming, didn't you? You've made 500 or more Barclays Premier League appearances and a clue which we gave you earlier in the show. There are nine of them. So we'd like the nine names before Gareth Barry to make 500 Barclays Premier League appearances. If you think you know the answer, tweet it to at Barclays Footy or post it onto the Barclays Football Facebook site and we'll reveal all the answers on the site later in the week. We'll be back at the same time next week to discuss what's sure to be another unpredictable weekend of action with Manchester City taking on unbeaten Everton, bottom of the table, Sunderland hosting Manchester United and leaders Arsenal travelling to West Brom. But until then, from Matt Holland and from me, Dave Farah, goodbye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays.